Again, that's Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 through 33, found on page 75 of the Blackfeet Bible. For six years you shall sow your land and gather its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in from your field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall your males appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Behold, I send to you an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When the angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Pezzarites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you, until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of your land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Exodus chapter 23. We're just walking through the book of Exodus. If you're here, if you're visiting with us, we're picking right up here in, in Exodus 23. I'll give you kind of a background so you'll kind of know where we are. The Israelites, they're, they've been redeemed by God, rescued from the hand of Pharaoh by God's mighty hand through the ten judgments, the ten plagues, the miraculous things that took place at the Red Sea. They're 
making their way towards the promised land, and they're at the base of Mount Sinai, and they're receiving the law. And we've seen the Ten Commandments, and now in the section of the law called the Book of the Covenant, chapters 21 through 24. And these laws teach this nation, the people of God, how the big ideas of the moral laws of God, the Ten Commandments, are worked out and implemented in the details of Israel's day-to-day life so that justice can be served, compassion can be poured out on those who need it, fairness and human dignity are promoted in the life of the people of God. They're seeing how the Ten Commandments are fleshed out. They've been instructed on how to treat slaves, how to promote justice and restitution when people are wronged, how to treat one's parents as well as the poor and needy, especially, especially the foreigner. And last week, Morgan taught us first part of chapter 23 where they were admonished about not being malicious, not being false witnesses, even against your enemy. And what we've seen so far in these case laws, chapter 21 up to 23, 9, they concern instructions that are to be observed at all times, general things that we can do every day. But today, we're going to look at some laws, some precepts, if you will, that are observed only at certain times. Okay? So God teaches the nation of Israel about his concern for the needy, for the lowly. We saw that in the first part of chapter 23. God instructs Israel how they're to, to meet the needs of those who are, who are struggling, who have need. And, and now we're going to see how God is going to tend to the needy through the nation of Israel. So four points this morning right from the text. The first point that we learn is God cares for the needy through the nation of Israel. And we're going to look at verse 10 and 11. Appreciate Josh reading the text for us. We talked about the Sabbath back. What commandment is keeping the Sabbath? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, four, right? Doing this. Um, the Sabbath day, we've talked about that already in the Ten Commandments. There was a Sabbath day. Every Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath was Saturday. And so when the sun went down on Friday, they began their Sabbath where they didn't work. They didn't gather manna as they did previously on the, the previous days. In fact, on day six, they would gather twice as much so they wouldn't have to gather and they had plenty to eat on the Sabbath. So we know there's a, the Sabbath day of rest, a day of worship. So the scripture tells us today that there's a seventh year was to be a sabbatical year. And that was a pretty big deal. I mean, this is an agrarian society. They worked every day. You work, you get up. They, they work from daylight to dark, can to cane. They worked. If you didn't work, you didn't have enough to eat. They were a working society, an agrarian society. And so if you're not going to work on a, a Sabbath day, think about it. You had to trust the Lord to provide for you. And what are they being taught? As the manna came from heaven... They're going out and they're, you remember, they're gathering up the, the, the manna every day. If they took more than they should for the day, what happened to it? It would rot, right? And so what they would do is they would, on, uh, every day they would take just enough for their family to eat for the day. But 
On Friday, the day before their Sabbath, they would take twice as much. And you know what happened to that that manna? There was two days worth of manna. It didn't rot because they were obeying the Lord. And the Lord, what is he teaching them? Trust me. I'm going to provide for you. So trust me. I will provide for your need. So to not work a day is one thing. But here they're commanded not to work a year, have a sabbatical year. Well, that's another thing altogether, isn't it? What about the food? That's what you're thinking. What about the food for that year that the fields are left fallow? See, they would work for six years straight. The seventh year, they wouldn't plow their fields. They wouldn't harvest. They would just let them lay. They were, what are they going to do for food? Well, the same concept, the same principle that God was trying to teach them with the manna, he was teaching them here. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 18 through 22. God gives more detailed instructions. Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? That's the sabbatical year that God has commanded them to do. You're going to work six years. Then the seventh year, you're not going to plow your fields. You're going to let them be. What comes up, comes up, right? I'll command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. Kind of the same concept, right? It's the manna deal, right? When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. Same concept. You're going to have a bountiful harvest in year six. It's going to last you several years. And what is God doing here? What's God teaching his people? He's teaching people, first of all, to trust him, isn't he? And this sabbatical year, it's unique to the, the nation of Israel. You don't see any other, any other people doing this. Why? Well, because all the other peoples were idolaters and their gods were inept. Their gods couldn't provide for them, but Yahweh, Israel's God, could. Now think about that. In regard to farming, I'm not a farmer, um, but we've got a lot of farmers around here, don't we? A lot of, lot of farmland. We know that crop rotation is good. In fact, government, the government now will pay farmers to have what's called set-aside land. We're going to pay you, the government say, hey, we're going to pay you not to plant crops because what happens when you plant the same crop year after year, year after year on the same land? Yeah, it's bad for the soil, right? The soil, there has to be a time for it to be replenished. Unless you, you're fertilizing, that's what farmers do uh, today. Oftentimes, they, they're putting lime and fertilizer down, right? So they can plant cotton again, just like they did last year. So we know that's good, but the, the main reason that God is calling his people, the Israelites, to keep a sabbatical year with their land is not so the land can be renourished. The first reason he's commanded his people to do this so they'll trust him to provide for them. The second reason is because of the poor in the land. We've seen this already. God has compassion for the needy, for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, for the foreigner. We've seen that in chapter 22. But one year, say they have a corn. 
the cornfield will lay fallow. They'll sow no corn and they'll reap no corn. The vines will go unpruned. The grapes will go ungathered. And whatever grew, grew spontaneously and belonged to everybody alike. The person who owned the field, it wasn't their property that year. The poor, the laborer, the foreigner, the cattle that range the fields, the wild game, they help themselves to it. What's the purpose of all this? Take care of the poor and the needy and the foreigner. Like most of you, we have flower beds at our house, and we have a garden, a pretty big garden, and uh, we like planting those type things. My wife, she cans, and we put stuff up, and we eat it all year long, but a few years back, I had some room in a flower bed, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to plant some cherry tomatoes, little tom-tom tomato plants here. And so I planted them, and, and they came up, and we harvested them, and lo and behold, the next year, the next summer, I didn't plant any cherry tomato plants in my flower bed, but my flower bed was covered with tomato plants. And I began to pull those things up. And the more I pulled up, the more they grew. And so now I just kind of let it go. And every summer we have tomatoes in the garden, but I have tomatoes in my flower bed. What happened? They just come up on their own, spontaneously, right? Because of the seeds that are left there. I leave it fallow and they come up every year on their own. And that's what happened here in their fields. Whatever was planted in the field the previous year would, plants would just radically sprout up and people could come by and harvest those as they like. But you know what happened? We, we read this text about this sabbatical year, but then you continue reading through the Old Testament and you never see it obeyed. In fact, it never was. When they entered the land, keep in mind where they are. They're at the base of Mount Sinai, and where are they headed? Where are we in the story? Remember where we are in redemptive history. They're headed towards the promised land. They stopped at the base of Mount Sinai. They're going to be there about 11 months. They're receiving the law, but they're on the way to the promised land. Now, we know they're going to get to the edge of the promised land because they didn't trust the Lord, and the ten spies discouraged them from going in and taking the land like God said he was going to give it to them. So they spent 40 years wandering in the desert. But then they're going to come back to the edge of the promised land again, new generation, right? About the same number population-wise as it was before, and they're going to enter the promised land. They're going to enter the promised land, and these are the case laws. These are the things that God wants them to do. But we see no record of them actually obeying the sabbatical year. As a result of them disobeying the Lord, they're exiled. This is a big reason why they are taken away into captivity. They're exiled. 722, the northern kingdom was taken by Assyria, scattered here and there, never to return. 586, the southern kingdom, Judah, was exiled to Babylon. And it's interesting, Jeremiah wrote that that exile would last how many years? 70 years, yeah, 70 years. Why 70 years? Well, because for 490 years, the people, the nation of Israel, neglected to give their land a rest. They didn't obey the sabbatical year. 
So, 490 years divided by seven, for every seven years the land's to lay fallow, there's 70 Sabbaths for the land that were not observed. So they stayed in exile for 70 years. Second Chronicles 36, verse 20 through 21 He took in exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. Right? Remember Cyrus the king? He allowed the Israelites to go back to Babylon after 70 years to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. Yeah. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Also Leviticus 26 34 and 35, then the land shall enjoy its Sabbath as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. That's in Babylon, right? In captivity. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbath. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have its rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbath when you were dwelling in it. So they didn't obey the Sabbath year. So they were led into exile. And we'll see it here in just a moment. God really wants his people to obey him. In fact, Obedience to God is a characteristic of his people. Not just for the nation of Israel, but for the church as well, right? Blake mentioned 1 John. What does 1 John tell us over and over and over again? You say you love the Lord. Who loves the Lord? Those who obey his commandments, who have a life that's characterized by obedience and submission to the Lord God. So God has a heart for the poor. And he's implementing this sabbatical year rest for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, for the stranger. And it's not a it's not a welfare system, you know, as we have here in the states, because they still had a crop and it still had to be work. It's more of a workfare system, so the poor could be taken care of. Look at verse twelve real quickly. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox, your donkey may have rest. This is just the, the fourth commandment restated, right? That the son of your servant woman and the alien may be your fresh. But notice here, Jerry, in this retelling of the fourth commandment, notice who he mentions. It's the worker, the laborer, right? The, the animal, the servant, the alien, the foreigner. Yeah. There's concern there for the lowly. God cares for the needy through the nation of Israel as he implements this sabbatical rest for the land. The second thing we learn, look at verse 13. Look at my face so I know you're listening to me, exclamation point. I know you probably don't do this with your kids, but I did it yesterday. I'm talking to my kids, and I'm making sure they understand what I'm saying. I'm like, hey, 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 hey. Look at me. Hey, look at me. Because I want them I want them. To look at me. Some of your mom, when they're real little, what do you do? Sorry, Seth. Seth, appreciate you. You do this right. You turn their head. You, do, you turn their face and look at you, right? Look at my face. Do any of you do that? Look at my face. Do you use that term? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at my face because I'm talking to you. I want to make sure you understand what I desire from you. Yeah, I did that yesterday. I didn't grab the face thing. I don't do that too much. But I did say, hey, look at me, right? I forget who I was talking to. Never mind. I gotta stop doing that. My kids tell me I'm embarrassing too much. I'm, look, all kids are all kids are all kids are terrible. They get every kid gets spanked. I mean, that's just part of being a child. You're no exception. You think you're like everybody thinks you're a perfect kid. 
Almost perfect, but not quite. So I got to stop using my kid as an example. See, next time I'm going to grab Carson's face. That's what I'll do. So what's going on here in verse 13? That's what God is doing here in the verse. Look at it. Pay attention to all that I've said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on their lips. That's what God's saying. Hey, hey. He's saying, hey, nation, listen to me. Pay attention to what I'm saying. And we know it's really important, right? Because when they didn't obey the sabbatical rest, what happened? The result is 70 years of exile. Land's going to get its rest. You didn't obey. You're in exile for 70 years. Pay attention. God wants his people to obey. And he brings them back here in verse 13, all the way back to the first command. And what's the first command? First command, second command, real similar. What's the first command? One God, yeah. The second command, no idols. I want you to love me and trust me. Third thing we see here. He tells them to celebrate three times a year, whether you want to or not. Look at verse 14 through 19. There's feasts, there's parties that he's implementing here. And these are opportunities for offerings to be given to the Lord. Look at verse 15. The first feast was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, we've seen this one. This is familiar to us, right? We've already walked through the, this Feast of the Unleavened Bread. He's already initiated that. Do you remember? It's culminated in the, the Passover. So for seven, six, seven days, they had to take all the leaven out of their house. What is leaven? You remember leaven? Leaven is what you put in bread, and it takes time for it to rise. You remember all this stuff took place kind of in haste because they're, God's pouring out his last judgment, death of the firstborn. So you're going to make bread not with leaven because it doesn't have time to rise. We're going to eat it in haste, and we're going to leave after the Passover lamb is sacrificed. And that's what happened. We've seen that already. And what this feast did, it helped the Israelites remember what God had done for them in, by delivering them from Egypt. It also gave them a break. It, it, it took place in April, about April, end of March, first part of April. And it allowed them to have a, a break before the summer work, work started. Lambs were sacrificed. We already know the Passover lamb and eaten. And only unleavened bread is eaten. So God here is worshipped. He's worshipped as who? He's worshipped as Redeemer. He redeemed the people from Egypt. Verse 16, the next feast they're commanded to keep is the Feast of the Harvest, or what's also called the Feast of Weeks, or what will later be called in the New Covenant, the, the Day of Pentecost. So you had the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, it's all one, one celebration. And this, this took place 50 days after from Passover. So 50 days from Passover, this next feast will celebrate. And what are they doing? They're celebrating the first fruits of the harvest. The wheat, the barley, the early figs and grapes. And so the priest would make loaves, this new flour, and, and make animal sacrifice. So God here is worshipped as provider. That's the second feast. The third celebration, the Feast of Ingatherings, are also called the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. That's probably more familiar, Aiden. The Feast of Booths, you probably heard that. Feast of Ingatherings, maybe not so much. This took place late September, early October, and it celebrated the last harvest of the year. They got all the crops in, everybody, whew. Praise the Lord. 
gave us a good crop, a good harvest, and so we give back to him uh, sacrifices. Look at verse 17. As he mentioned all these, these feasts, these three feasts, three times in the year all your males appear before the Lord. And that's interesting. You're saying, what about the females? What about the women? What about the kids? Were they involved in this too? Yes, they were. But here the emphasis is on, on the males. Why is that? We see throughout the scripture there's emphasis on male leadership. Who's the head of the home? Men are. Who's responsible for caring for the family, teaching the family, leading the family by example? It's the, the men. It's interesting. This emphasis on male leadership here. Look at verse 18. You should not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened. We already talked about that. They had to remove their house from their house leaven or the fat of my feast remained until morning. There's the fat had to be burned up, right? Look at verse 19. This is probably the, the, the most difficult verse, strangest verse. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in this mother's milk. It's kind of strange. What's wrong with that? Uh, well, it was a, a part of a Canaanite idol worship. And time and time and time again, we see God telling his people you're to be different as Chris taught this morning from chapter 23 the first part there's like to be consecrated set apart they're the called out ones when you get into the the promised land don't be like the idol worshipers be different you're to be set apart don't do the things they do this is one of the things they do in time of worship here, there's three festivals that they're initially told to keep. We know there's going to be, by the time they're finished walking through um, the promised land captivity, we see the monarchy with the King David. We're going to see there's actually going to be seven feasts that God is going to command them to keep. But here, we have start out with just three. Look at verse 20 through 33. The fourth thing we see is God's covenant blessings are poured out on his people as expectations of, of obedience are in, reinforced. Look at verse 20. An angel, I'll, I'll send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I prepared. That's the promised land, right? And he says, be careful, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. It's, it's interesting. This, the angel of God's presence was mysteriously distinguished from God, yet identified with him. We see this in Exodus 14, verse 19, when the Israelites, they're leaving Egypt. They're about to cross through the Red Sea. And remember, Pharaoh changed his mind. He said, get out of here. Take... Take, not only take your people, but what else you want? Remember, they looted the, the, the nation. Pharaoh changed his mind. He sends his army after the Israelites. Exodus 14, 19 speaks to that. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So what the picture there is the Israelites are here. you got the angel... This pillar of cloud, and then you have the, the army of Pharaoh. It couldn't get to them, right? That's what's going on. But you see here is this, this angel. 
Is that, you, you may even ask, did God or the angel lead the people? Yes, that's my answer. Yes. You see, God's powerful presence accompanied the, the angel that led the people. So is it God? Is it the angel? And I say, yes, of course. But notice the angel must be listened to and his commands obeyed. And if they, this angel is obeyed, what happens? And what I want you to do here in, in verses 22 through 33 is if I were you, what I would do is I would circle or underline the I wills. God says, if you, if you trust and you obey, I will do this, I will do that. He says, all the things he'll do. It's real interesting. If they listen and obey the, the commands of the angel, then God would oppose their enemies. I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. And it's real. That reminds us of another covenant God gave to Abraham. Do you remember what God told Abraham? Yeah, those, those that bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. I got you back. I'm going to be for those who are for you. Those that are against you, guess what? I'm going to be against them. I'll be their enemy. Yeah. Verse 24 through 26, God will bless them if they obey by worshiping him alone. We see that time and time again. Don't worship idols. Don't worship idols. Don't worship idols. Worship me alone. I provide for you. I take care of you. Worship me alone. Don't bow down to their, their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do. But you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. Verse 25, you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless you. He'll bless your bread and your water. Notice, I will take sickness away from you. You don't have to worry about hospitals. Verse 26, no infertility cl clinics, no um, um, you know, the, the, the funeral homes, they're not going to be very busy. Verse 26, none shall miscare. Be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. If you obey me, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of you. Look at verse 27 through 31. Part of that blessing is driving out the heathen from the promised land. Look at verse 27. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make your enemies turn their backs to you. What's that, what's that all about? I don't know, I don't know if you, this ever happened to you. If you've hunted very much, you've been out in the woods a whole lot, um, this has probably happened. You ever stirred up a hornet's nest? Or like kicked over? I don't, we were behind, um, we're behind a few years ago, uh, my kids, we were deer hunting behind Mr. Charlie, behind Brent's house. There's, we had a deer stand there. We're deer hunting some. And we were there checking on the deer stand or something, and there's an old rotten um, snag, an uh, old rotten tree. And I just walked by that tree, and I kind of grabbed it. It was kind of loose. I just kind of pulled it, and it kind of fell. And I was kind of, oh, you know, I was kind of pulled through it. Well, all of a sudden, I was like, run for your lives, right? It's yellow jackets are all on me. And, uh, and I put my back to that snag, right, to the yellow jacket, and I'm running out of there. My kids are going, and they got stung, and I got stung. Um, yeah, that, that's what happens. You're putting their back to you. I mean, they're going to be running away from you. And notice what he says in verse um, 28. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out and enlist all these people, the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. We see this elsewhere. 
when they entered, when they finally did enter the promised land, we see God doing, actually doing this. Anything come to your mind? They get to Jericho. They sent out spies. There's two spies that go to Jericho. They go somehow, Rahab, Rahab's house. Do you remember Rahab hides them upstairs? Turn there if you would, Joshua. Turn my mind to Joshua. Just flip over. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Joshua, just keep going right a little bit. Look real quickly, Joshua chapter 2. We've got to hurry. Joshua chapter 2. Hurry up. Rick, you've got to find it. If it takes you longer to find it, we might not get out of here at 12. If you hurry up, we'll get out of here at 12. Come on. Joshua chapter 2, <laughs> verse 9 through 11. This is, this is Rahab speaking. The Israelites have crossed over the Jordan. And notice what she says. Look at verse 9. Or verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as, you, as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This lady's a pagan. She's in a pagan city. But what's happened? God has preceded their entry. Word has, has got all around. God made sure word spread about how they defeated these enemies and how they crossed over the Jordan on dry ground and how they're coming to take the land. They're so afraid already. Why? Because God put fear in them. Look at verse 29. God didn't drive them all out at once. He said, I'm not going to drive them all out at once because that would be bad for the place. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, there's a place here on Double Bridges. We, we drive through there. There's a farm there. And it hadn't been bush hog or take, taken care of in years. It's probably seven, eight years since a bush hog's touched that. They haven't cut the hay. They haven't cleaned it up. You know what, what's there? Every time we go by there, my dad points it out. Thorn trees are everywhere. So much so now, uh, you won't be able to do anything with it. You can't run a tractor over it because it'll puncture all the tires. What's happened is that land lay, lays like that. It just it grows up and grows up and grows up, right? So you can't use it. And it's interesting, the wisdom of the Lord. He says, I'm going to drive these people out, but not, not all at once because it's a big place. And your numbers are few, 600 fighting men. So what's going to happen is little by little, I'm going to drive them out. So the land doesn't have to lay desolate. So the wild animals don't increase and get out of control. So there's conservation going on even back then. What happens when the, the, the wolves and the coyotes and all those kind of creatures increase in number? The numbers of the livestock and the lambs decrease, right? Yeah, God's just wise, isn't he? Yeah, I'm going to drive them out, but not all at once or things won't go well. Verse 31, God's going to establish the borders of Israel but he's going to do so in his timing. In fact, not until David is on the throne will this conquest of the land be complete. 
But eventually they're all going to be drawn out, driven out. Look at verse 33. They're going to be driven out. Why? Because if not, the Israelites, they'll lead the Israelites to worship false gods. So what do we do with this? We know that we, the church, we're not bound by the Mosaic law, right? This isn't for us to apply in our lives directly. We're not bound by the Mosaic law. The law has been fulfilled, so we've, because we're in Christ, we fulfilled it. But what should we know or what should we do as a result of this text? Well, firstly, I think when in regard to the Sabbath, I'll kind of do it in order of the text. We know that Jesus Christ, right, he's our Sabbath rest. Savannah, he fulfilled it, and our rest comes to us as we trust in him. Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest, yeah. But this, this rest and for the land, the sabbatical year of, of rest for the land was, again, was so they would grow to trust the Lord, that he'll be their provider, but also for the poor and the lowly. And God had a compassionate heart to those who are in need. So what, for us, what's the application? We too should have, we should be compassionate towards the needy. And, and it's just timely. Reagan's able to come up and do our missions moment and share about confidential care and boy we should be compassionate we should have a heart for those who are needy and who's more needy than the unborn we're gonna have a great opportunity to, to we've already got a partnership with them to increase that and, and be a part of what is going on through that ministry the second thing i think is not when we talk about application it's not just what we do but what we know sometimes but i think one of the things we need to know as a result of this text is that each of these festivals points toward a prophetic prophetic event. In, in fact, the the letter to the Colossians, chapter two, verse sixteen and seventeen, Paul he says this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, and with regard to the festival or the new moon or the Sabbath. See, this is new covenant writing. Paul's writing to believers, Christians under the new covenant. Right? These are a shadow of things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. So all these, these three festivals, these feasts that they're, they're told to keep, those things are all pointing us to something, right? A reality in Christ. In fact, all seven of those will do that. We're going to be discussing that more in the chapters to come. Number three, by way of application, what do we do here? God desires us to trust Him to provide and to live our lives obedient to the law of Christ. We're, we're not under the law. We're not bound by the Mosaic law. Because the new covenant is better than the Mosaic covenant. Now we're under not the Mosaic law, but the law of Christ. Real quickly, I want to introduce this to you. We'll come back to this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Paul writing to the Galatian believers bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Not a Mosaic law, right? But the law of Christ. And he speaks of this also in 1 Corinthians 9, 21. These are the two texts, the two times he speaks of the law of Christ. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Again, mentions the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Well, Sometimes we talk about, well, we have the moral law. We're still bound to the moral law of God. Well, the law's been fulfilled in Christ, right? But what you see, and we've mentioned this before, 
you remember that we talked about the nine? Nine of the Ten Commandments are restated in the New Covenant. So sometimes we talk about the moral law. Are we, are we bound to the moral law? Well, to some degree, Jesus was a moral Savior. We should emulate him. And how did he live his life? He loved his enemies. He was kind. He gave to those in need. Right? So there is a moral aspect of the law of Christ. Jesus is perfect. Morally perfect. We treat God reverently because we're in Christ. We treat others well. We love our neighbor because we are in Christ. There's a moral aspect to even the law of Christ. We'll come back to that. Lastly, we see here in the last section of 23, this insistence on obedience. God insists his people obey him. And it's not a works-based salvation. It's not, oh, we obey because... We'll, we obey so God will give us things. It's not, a, God, I'll, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. It's not, that's not the setup. It's not a deal. We don't make deals with God. He's sovereign, and he's the ruler of all things. Yeah. But notice this last section. I point out the I wills, I wills, I wills. They trust the Lord. They obey God says, I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. I say this often. You take all the commands of Jesus, all his preaching, you summarize it in three words. Repent and believe. Repent and trust him. He commands us to do that, every, every person, every image bearer. Our our message to our coworkers, our kids, our spouses, our neighbors. That should be our message. Repent and believe in Christ and his work on the cross. If you repent and believe, God gives a bunch of I wills in the New, new Covenant, the New Testament. For his children, what will he do? Tell me, what will he do? This is bad for TV. Sorry, Phil. Huh? He'll give you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. He'll give you the Holy Spirit. He'll seal you with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing eternal life. He'll comfort you. He'll teach you. He'll remind you of what you've been taught. Yeah, something else. I will what? God says, for his children, if you repent and believe. When I say for his children, that's for people who've repented and believed. You're not God's child. Listen to me. You're not God's child because you're a person. Because you're a person, you're an enmity with God, right? Living like this. You're a sinner, deserving his wrath. If you repent and believe, he says it, throughout the new covenant, I will what? Give you the Holy Spirit. What else? What? Yeah, he'll guide you through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Good. Someone else? Yeah. Yeah, he'll take away the enmity. The right, yeah. There's where there's no enmity. There's now a father 
son, father, daughter, father, child relationship. Yeah, I will what? Do what, John? Yeah, I'll never leave you. I'll, I'll always be there with you. Never leave you. Never separate it again. Somebody else? Yeah. I'm going to finish the work I started. Now you're my child, but you're still sinful and messed up and you have all these selfish, sinful habits. I'm going to continue to work that out. And one day, you're going to be just like Jesus because of the work I'm doing in you. Good. I will. What else? Sustain you. Good. Do what? Yeah. Adopt you. And it, we could just go on and on and on. If you repent and believe, I will. He says here in, in chapter 23, verse 20 through 33, if you'll obey me, if you'll trust me, if you'll obey this, if you obey the angel, if you obey me, I will do this, 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 this. And we've seen examples of him doing that for his people. And God's a promise keeper. What he, what he says he'll do for us, he'll do. But we have to, firstly, we have to repent and believe. Have you repented and believed? Are you in the I will section of your spiritual life? Can you say, God is doing what he promised he would do for me? That hasn't happened if you haven't repented and believed. You're still separated from him. You're at enmity with him. The law is a curse to you and not a blessing because it's pointing out your sin, right? Are you in the I will phase? Is God doing these things for you? If he says God's, he's not doing anything for me, then you need to repent and believe. Because God wants to do wonderful, glorious, fabulous things for his kids. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. And Father, as we read through the law and this old covenant, some, sometimes these, these, these texts are a little strange, like, boiling a young goat in its mother's milk. And, but Father, we're thankful that we can understand your word and we can interpret it and apply it to our lives. Father, we need help. And um, as we leave this place, we need help when you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to help your church to walk out these doors and obey. Father, help us to do that. Help us to remember Father, that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And give us rest this week for those who are weary, for those who've lost loved ones, for those who are sick, for those who care, carry heavy spiritual burdens. May you give them rest in Christ. Father, we're thankful that all the promises in the Scripture, they point us to Jesus these festivals, Father, that you instituted for Israel point to Christ. We're thankful that he fulfilled your covenant. Father, help us to obey you as we seek to apply this law of Christ to our lives. And Father, for those who are here who've yet to repent and believe. Father, may you open their eyes, their spiritual eyes to see their lostness 
open their spiritual ears to hear the sweet gospel message, this message that even though they're sinful, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, came and took on flesh and walked this earth. He lived a perfect life, the life we couldn't live, he lived for us. He died a cruel death where you poured out your wrath upon him for sinners. Jesus was buried on the third day. He rose from the grave so that sinners could be justified. And we're thankful for the promises you give us in your word. All those I wills. We know you're going to, the work you began in us, you're going to complete. We know that we have a guarantee that we'll be with you forever, not because we deserve it, but because you're merciful. We're so thankful. Father, may you save sinners today, those who are lost, and help your church to obey you. As we leave this place, help us be salt and light for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Sunday morning services at Beaver Baptist Church. We are currently studying the book of Exodus. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like more information about our church, call us at 901-837-2904. You can also visit our website at beaverbaptist.com.